Well, good evening, folks. I hope uh, at least one person sitting on the floor. I think that's great. Thank you, Jesse. Two. It's just not scum of the earth that people aren't sitting on the floor. It's my opinion. Um, I don't know if you guys heard. I'll just give you a quick update, um, waiting for the people uh, in the other room to come in. But, um, you know, we've got this loan that we're trying to pay off, uh, $240,000 worth of loan. And I just thought you might like to know that our our first installment is due uh, February 1st. It's $80,000. We don't bring $80,000 into the offering buckets in a year here, okay, just so you know. But by the grace of God, and this is a projection, so pray for me that it actually does happen, it looks like we're going to be able to make that first uh, loan payment of $80,000 come February 1st and not have to pay any interest on that loan. So that's, yeah. Yeah. That's not 100% certain because the numbers haven't come back yet from from the accountant, but we're, we're heading in the right direction. So uh, we're going to be awfully close if we can't do it. Um, let's see. My name is Mike Sayers, for those of you who don't know who I am. I uh, am the senior pastor, if only by reason of my advanced age, here at Scum of the Earth Past Church. And, um, you know, we live in a culture that is, I don't know, kind of... Believing in God, but not really paying a lot of attention to God. I mean, most people I, I meet are not atheists. I mean, they, they believe in some kind of higher power. So um, that's good. But um, according to a, a book called God in the Wasteland, David Wells uh, describes contemporary faith like this. He says, it is one of the defining marks of our time that God is now weightless. That God is now weightless. This is what he means by that. I mean that he has become unimportant. He rests upon the world so inconsequentially as not to be noticeable. Those who assure the pollsters of their belief in God's existence may nonetheless consider him less interesting than television. His commands less authoritative than their own appetites for affluence and indulgence. God's judgment no more awe-inspiring than the evening news, and his truth less compelling than the advertiser's sweet fog of flattery and lies. And honestly, I have to say I agree with his assessment of our culture. We say we believe in a God, but we believe in a God who is of no consequence. And I don't know why that is. Historically, in Christianity, we say that God is omnipresent, that he's everywhere. We say that he's omnipotent, meaning that he's all-powerful. And we say that he's omniscient, meaning that he knows everything. And we have no problem with believing that God knows everything. As a matter of fact, we want to be known by God, most of us. We want to be known by God. And we want to be loved by God. 
But sometimes those two desires on our part are intention. And I think with the more weight that God gains in our lives, the more palpable he is, the more real that he is in our lives, the more the tension begins to drive those two desires apart. Because we have to choose at some point how much do I want to be known and how much do I want to be loved. Think about this in terms of your everyday relationships. You've got people that you hang around, you want them to like you. You just do, right? Because otherwise, you're all alone by yourself. And you want them to know you. And the more they get to know you, the more dangerous it is because they may not love you. You see what I'm saying? And so at some point, you've got to make a decision which one you're going to go with. And most of us go with being loved. We're going to go with, I'd rather be loved by people than be known by them, because if they really knew who I was, they wouldn't love me. And I need to be loved more than I need to be known. And we kind of do the same thing with God. The more we get to know God, the scarier it is for him to know us. We want to be loved, but I mean, like, come on, really? Now, this is a tension that has been going on for millennia. And we're going to go uh, look in the Old Testament this week. Um, this sermon is the last in a three-part series of the state of scum. And uh, the first one was we receive. The uh, second one was we, what was it? We relate, thank you. And do we have my sermon title up on a slide, Ben, by any chance? We don't. Okay. The third one is we are revealed. We are revealed. We are a people, scum of the earth, who major in being revealed unto God. One of the things that came up in a recent meeting of both the council and the staff, we had to figure out what our core values are. And one of the core values, the guy who was leading us, he's a consultant from, actually from Washington, D.C., he, he loved it. In fact, he took a picture of it and sent it to his buddies who were consultants. Because what we said was, is one of our values is, we're not afraid of your shit or ours. That's one of our core values. It's okay to be known here. You can still be loved. And so that's one of our values. We are people who are revealed. And so we go back to one of the Psalms, uh, actually King David, Psalm 139, probably maybe my favorite Psalm of all. For those of you who don't know who King David was, he was the ancient king of Israel, probably back a thousand years before Jesus. And according to the scriptures, he was a man after God's own heart. Now, given the fact that David was a murderer, an adulterer, uh, he lied, um, you know, all sorts of stuff. You're going, wait a minute. How can that be? But that's the beauty of it. If you look through the Psalms that David wrote, and he wrote probably two-thirds of the Psalms that are in the book of Psalms, after a while you begin to think this guy's like manic depressive. 
Because on the one hand, he's exalting in his love for God and God's love for him. And then the next thing you know, he's telling God, what's wrong with you? How come you don't go out with us anymore? Where are you? He's just back and forth and back and forth. How he loves people and then he wants to, you know, smash their faces in. The reason I love David is because he reminds me of me in my prayer life. I mean, I just as soon cuss at God as I would praise him. Give me a certain day, and I've probably done both in the same day. Now, if now you're thinking, this is crazy, I can't listen to this garbage, I'm going to tune out, then, you know, you probably do need to find a different church because this is the reality that I live in, and I'm hoping that somewhere in the deep, dark recesses of your own prayer life, it's the, it's the tension that you're in. So we're going to go to Psalm 139. Now, now normally, let me, let me start with, i, I got to make a little caveat at the beginning. You know how when you read the Bible, they have those chapters, like chapter 15, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Then it goes on down, Jesus does this. Those little sub-chapter headings, those are written by some dudes from the publishing company, you know, theology buffs, and uh, they're not inspired all right, they're not the inspired text, the words of God. They're just helpful hints by brothers and sisters to help us get through the chapter. Well, I figure I can be just as uninspired as those guys. So I come up with my own chapter headings for Psalm 139. And so Psalm 139, for the director of music, a Psalm of David, my first chapter title is God Knows Me. And it starts off like this. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And I'll tell you what, if, if you are a person who loves God and is known by God, this is great news, to be known by God. To know that somehow your whole life matters. That there's not one single thing that you do. I mean... He knows what you ate for supper. He knows everything about you. And to know that God cares about the smallest little details of your everyday life is actually a wonderful, refreshing change from so many people who don't give a blank about what you do or who you are. Because life can be awfully lonely. You can be awfully lonely. And you don't know how lonely it can be until you've been in that place where nobody calls and nobody comes around to find out what you've been doing. You have no place to report to the good times in your life, the bad times in your life. We want to be known. And it's awesome when people care to know 
I used to think it was stupid when my, my stepmom and my, and my, my grandmother, her, her mom, they would send these little postcards back and forth, blank postcards. My mom would buy a whole, you know, bunch of them. They were already pre-postage paid. And so she would just write the address on the front and the back. She would just say, this is what we did today. We, you know, as a family, we went here, we went there. And then grandma would send one back just like it that talked about what was growing in her garden and what the temperature was and blah, blah, blah on the farm. And I thought, that is the most inane conversation ever. I mean, aren't you guys any deeper than that? But what I didn't realize is that they just were reveling in being known by each other and knowing what was going on. And of course they had deeper conversations. It wasn't meant for postcards. It was way before email and text messaging. We can get so much deeper in text messages. Email? Twitter. Twitter. There you go. Yeah, 128 characters. Yeah, you're done. Yeah, I got a problem. You know, I mean, I, I, in fact, I was texting a guy today. I'm going, yeah, I'd like to talk more about this, but not over texting. I mean, I care about you too much, and I care about this topic too much to text about it. Okay, that's a tangent. We'll go back to the Word of God. Anyway. To think that God cares about us in a very intimate, detailed way of life that is just wonderful. But then you begin thinking, wait a minute, God knows everything about me. Hence the next chapter title, um, this knowledge of yours makes me uncomfortable. I think I want to hide. This is the very next sentence in David's psalm. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. We want God to know us, but not all that well. I don't know if you've experienced this kind of thing, where you're going along with your day, everything's fine, and then you want to do something you know that God would not approve of. And so you turn off the praise music. You close the Bible and hide it under your bed. You unplug your phone because you don't want anybody from church calling you. And you go do what you want to do. I think we all do this, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not the only one, am I? When I want to just totally take the bridle off of my anger and unleash it upon my children or my coworkers, like I just conveniently forget that God knows every word before it's on my tongue. I mean, how do you struggle with porn? 
as a Christian man. How do you do that if you don't somehow, in the back of your mind, shut off the God talk? You've got to hide at some point in your life if you're going to continue doing the things that God says not to do. Or, worse yet, if you don't want to do the things that God is asking you to do, like work on your marriage. Like give to the poor. Like serve those less fortunate than you. You just have to somehow turn out the interference, right? And this happens to us every day. We have to struggle through this because we want God to know us, but it makes us uncomfortable. Here's an interesting thing. Very rarely have I ever had to exercise church discipline. And by church discipline, I mean you are screwing up so bad in your life that you are a threat not just to your own spirituality, but you're a threat to the brothers and sisters who go to church with you. That your influence is is so... What's the word I'm looking for? disintegrating to other people's walks with God that I have to come and do something. I mean, very rarely have I done that. I've done that a couple times in the past where I've had to come along, your brothers and sisters, and say, okay, I love you, but you got to stop doing this because it's not only affecting you, but it's affecting everybody that you know. We had a situation where a young guy was living in a house. He grew up in a Christian home. Cool kid. Totally non-Christian home that he ended up renting. His roommates were nothing close to believers. And uh, they began with parties there. And so he would invite people from Scum to come to those parties. And, um, and you know, weird things started happening. Lots of alcohol abuse, lots of drug abuse, people having sex on the kitchen floor in full view of anybody that walked by, orgies down in the basement with people trying to draw in. Other folks were at the party to take part. Now, <clears throat> I pulled them aside and said, you got to stop having those parties at your house. You got to stop going. You got to stop inviting people. You can't do it anymore. I'll give you a choice. Either you stop the parties or you stop coming to church. That's rare in the life of a pastor. Because normally what happens is when people start hiding from God, they start hiding from the body of Christ as well. They just don't show up. They just conveniently slip out the back door. You don't have to exercise church discipline. You don't even know what's going on half the time. All you know is they were here and now they're not. Why? Because this knowledge God has of us makes us extremely uncomfortable. Let's keep going. Next passage, David says, wait, 
God really knows me. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So you think you're hiding from God, and then you stop to think a little bit more, and you realize that God knows things about you that you don't even know about you. I, mean, I don't know what your earliest memory is. I have one that usually beats everybody. I remember going to the drive-in movie with my father and coming home with my mother. You're all wondering what a drive-in movie is, right? Okay. It's a joke, folks. Just meditate on it for later. <laughs> I had the same reaction in the first service. And I thought if I set it up differently, they'll surely get it. Okay. Anyway. But God remembers things about us that we don't even know. <laughs> okay, now it's coming. <laughs> People are starting to laugh. That's great. Okay. All right. I remember going to the drive-in movie with my father and coming home with my mother. All right. <laughs> There. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. <laughs> Perhaps you don't remember back that far. But God does. As a matter of fact, you know, we've got um, some folks around here who are pregnant right now, and this passage means a lot to those ladies. Got some who just had babies, and they're looking at this little guy that's fearfully and wonderfully made, like that one right there. It's amazing. And you sit there, and you just wonder in awe, right? If you ever see the videotapes or the, the, the digital videos of new parents, you know, and <laughs> it's cute because... They're taking a video of this kid who is lying there. He doesn't do much except breathe. You know, every now and then it's like, come, wait, come on. Oh, do you see that? You see that? He smiled. I know he smiled. You know, you're like five minutes in the video waiting for something. And, uh, you know, you're just, go, you're just going. And, but they're mesmerized. And they ought to be mesmerized because it's amazing. It's amazing. Did you know... That, you know, the DNA is the, uh, the chemical inside the nucleus of the cells that carries the genetic instructions for your whole being. There are three billion letters of the DNA code in every cell of your body. The, the, the letters are on those little, you know, like at the, at the twisted ladder, the DNA thing. You know, it's, uh, the pairs are in those little crossbars that go, go up. There's three billion letters. They're base pairs of molecules. 
they form one rung in the DNA ladder. Now, get this. If all three billion letters in the human genome were stacked one millimeter apart, you guys don't know how big a millimeter is, right? They would reach a height 7,000 times the height of the Empire State Building. It would take a person typing 60 words per minute, eight hours a day, about 50 years to type out the human genome. If all the DNA in your body, just the DNA strands, were put end to end, it would reach to the sun and back over, 60, over 600 times. 100 trillion times six feet divided by 92 million miles. That's how you get that, that number. And no one's DNA is the same. And this is the crazy thing. Most of it is the same. 99.9% .9 of all our DNA is the same. It's 0.1% of our DNA that accounts for every difference in every person. But there's a lot of DNA, right? It's just amazing when you think about God's creativity in crafting you. There is no one like you. There never will be anybody like you. This week, I want you just to remind yourself of God's amazing creativity in crafting you. That's how well he knows you. He knows you on an atomic level. Not even a molecular level. He knows you on an atomic level. So, here's the amazing thing. Is that even though God knows what we do every day, in and out, thoughts, words, deeds, even though he knows us down to the very atoms in our cells, he loves us anyway. God knows us and he loves us anyway. There's that tension we were talking about. Verse 17. How precious concerning me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. I mean, it kind of gives you, when, when, when you know God knows every atom in your being, every atom of your DNA, I mean, it's a lot of thoughts. And more than that, because it goes beyond the mere material to the spiritual, the emotional, the intellectual, the social, the financial, the legal, even in terms of nationalities. God loves us, even though he knows all the crap about us. It's amazing. It's amazing. I think if there's one thing that blows me away the longer that I'm married, and Mary and I are going on 34 years coming up here in June, is that my wife knows me better now than she did at any time before in our marriage. And she loves me more now than she has at any particular time in our marriage. It blows me away. I mean, she tells me on a regular basis, every day, I'm adorable. <laughs> Such knowledge is too wonderful for me to contain. 
All right, now if my wife feels this way about me, and she's sinful, how does God feel about me? God is stark raving crazy about you. He is totally 100% in love with you. He pursues you like a lover pursues the beloved. That's why all the verbiage around the end of the world is this giant wedding banquet and honeymoon phase. Do you realize that? When God talks about the end of all things, he talks about it in terms of a wedding feast. And heaven is like the honeymoon. There's nothing short of crazy. Now, when you're at some point in your Christian life convinced that God loves you, it's an amazing time, isn't it? Maybe you went away in a weekend camp or a week-long camp when you were a little kid or in high school, and you had this experience with God. And you were on the proverbial mountaintop, right? You were so in love with God because God loved you even though you're a jerk. And, 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 and you are praising God in whatever way you possibly can. You're so grateful Maybe, you know, it was a worship service at a church. Maybe there was a dramatic healing in your life. Maybe, you know, finally a long-awaited prayer is answered, and you are on cloud nine. You feel God's arms wrapped around you, and you're in love. And then it occurs to you, how could anybody not be in love with God? How could that be possible? How could there be people out there who give God the finger, who pretend like he doesn't exist? That makes no sense at all. He is so real to me right now. He loves me so deeply, I understand that. I can never repay. You start thinking about all the evil that's done in the world at people who don't know God. I mean, I was reading the news just this week about the little nine-year-old girl who was abducted in Pueblo, Colorado. Did you guys all... Read this story. Some jerk of a 20-some-year-old guy grabs her, kidnaps her on her way back from school, throws her into his, a stolen car or something or some kind of car, drives up to Colorado Springs. Car breaks down somehow. Gets a ride from some well-intentioned motorist who probably doesn't know what's going on. Gets dropped off at a convenience store. The guy goes in the bathroom. Little girl is bruised, black eyes. I mean, she's been obviously beaten. Who knows what else? We don't know what else. And, and, and you know, she starts, you know, yelling, you know, that she's not going to go with this guy, and she's calling 911 from the, the store, and the cops come, and they, you know, she's saved, and then they finally catch this guy, and you're going, that guy deserves to be smote, God. You need to smite him. I never use the word smite, but in this case, Lord, I want you to smite people like that. All the people who take advantage of little kids, who rape little girls, who, who abuse little boys, those people should be smitten by the mighty hand of God. Damn it. How could they do that? God is so good. He is so loving. If they only knew and they just spit in his face and they hurt his people and you get pissed. Welcome to King David's world. 
Because this very next section of the psalm is one of those people like to ignore. But I don't think that we will tonight. Verse 19. My chapter title is this. God, I love you so much, I can't stand those who hate you and bring evil into the world. Verse 19. He goes from, how precious are your thoughts concerning me, O God, how vast the sum of them, where I count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from you, bloodthirsty men. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Welcome to the manic-depressive world of being in love with God. You've probably always wondered. I've always wondered. I've read this psalm, I don't know how many times I've preached in the psalm before, and I just kind of, you know, tipped my hat to this section and kept going. It took um, the guys from our preaching team, namely Jim, to bring this to my attention fully. Of course this is what happens. We're all like this. And you know what? we got a reason to be like this. Because there are wicked people in this world who are not doing what God wants us to do what God wants to be done. Trouble is, some people get stuck here. Do you ever wonder how people could go with signs that say God hates fags to the funerals of those who have died from AIDS? Because they're stuck right here. Yeah. Crusades could have been about land and power and money <laughs> as well. But yeah, I think there was some righteous indignation there. You know, how dare you desecrate the holy places? But the psalm doesn't end there. The next section is quite revealing. Maybe for me, the high point of the whole psalm. And I title this one, well, 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 wait a minute. Maybe I've spoken too soon. After all, I'm not the most pure person either. Help me, God. And David goes on to say this, verse 23. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Who was it that said, whenever you point a finger at somebody else, you're pointing three fingers back at you? I think I heard that in middle school, maybe, right? I heard it at our dinner table just the other night. You got to give David some credit here. He's turning it back on himself. 
And I think people who get stuck in the self-righteous rhetoric need to come back to these two verses and maybe commit them to memory. Search me, O God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of of life everlasting. Because I really need it. Because you know me. You know the dark places. You know the places I don't go in the light that I ought to go. You know me down on a molecular level, Lord. You know what a creep I really am. At scum of the earth, we know that we stand revealed before an all-knowing and an all-loving God. He's not afraid of our shit. He loves us anyway. And so as we conclude this state of the scum messages, I would like to ask you to do something this week. I would like to ask you to put in at least a couple questions in your next prayer time with God. And these are the questions. Take your pick. And try and be open to the answers that you might receive, whether they come through a lightning bolt or through the neighbor next door. Lord, what do you want to do in my life? Lord, what do you want to do through my life? Lord, what do you still desire for me to experience? Like, what is missing from my Christian walk? What is missing from my life outlook? Where where am I lacking? You know where I'm lacking because you know everything about me. So, So what do you still desire for me to experience, Lord? Spiritually, maybe vocationally, maybe physically, maybe intellectually, where is it? What possibilities lie within me? Lord, you know me. I I don't even know myself. You know things about me that I don't know. So, So what is it in me that is possible in you? Maybe I'm missing it. What potential lies before me? You know the things that are going to happen to me. You know the doors I'm going to be able to knock on. You know the schools I'm going to be able to go to. You know the relationships I'm going to be able to have in the future. You know the churches I'm going to be able to attend. You know the scriptures I ought to read that I haven't read yet. What possibilities lie, what potential lies in front of me? You have good works prepared for me to do from the beginning of creation. What are they, God? What am I supposed to be doing that I'm not doing right now? What could I become? I mean, Lord, I don't even know what I am, so I don't even know what I can become. I was thinking today, actually, I was thinking yesterday about what I might have become if Jesus hadn't grabbed a hold of my life. And it was scary. It was scary. Given my risk-taking ability, my charm and my intellect and good looks, (laughs) 
Sorry. Who knows what evil I would be capable of, you know? Knowing me, I'd probably be making porn movies, selling them on the Internet. Probably what I would have been doing. Ruining young people's lives instead of hopefully trying to help them grow closer to God. It would have been like diametrically opposite of what I'm doing now. That's my guess. Lord, what did you have in mind when you created me? What did you have in mind when you created me? You know, it's, it's interesting. When little babies are born, like uh, Dana and James' baby, I mean, we look at the baby and we're going, Ian, what, what potential you have? Like, what, what could this kid become? He could, he could have the cure for cancer right there. Who knows? We don't know, right? How come we don't look that way with people when they're 25? God does. God looks at you and just the way you look at babies and says, Oh, man, this kid could be something. So excited. So excited. He does that when you're 50. He does that when you're 60. Got 10 years left, Mike. You can, you know, come on. We're going to change the world in the next 10 years. Who knows? I'm not 60. I'm going to be 58 next month, so. What do you desire for me, Lord? We know what God desires. You know. God desires wonderful things for us. He's got a plan for us. So look, this is what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to have people available in the prayer room over there, that brown room. Uh, people will be available over there to pray with you. If you want to pray now, because you know that I'm going to forget this once we leave. I'm not going to pray any of these things. You can go back there right now and pray during the last music set. That would be awesome. All right? People back, people back there to pray with you. Maybe you've got a concern right now physically or spiritually. You want to bring it before the Lord, take that too. And then we can do these questions as well. But I'm going to ask you to promise me something. Would you please make it a priority at some point during the next week to take at least a couple of these questions and sincerely ask God, and then wait for an answer. Because we are a people who are revealed. We are a people who are revealed. Who knows what kind of people we shall become, except for the Lord himself. Please pray with me briefly. Lord God, I thank you so much. For your servant David, that crazy guy, who I relate to more and more the older I get, that, Lord, thank you for Psalm 139 and the things that you put in his heart. Lord, I know their words directly from your mouth. Lord, help me to appropriate Psalm 139 in my own life. Help us here to live out Psalm 139 in our own lives. Let us be a people in full view of you, knowing that you not only know us, but in spite of that, you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.